0: Welcome to the Story of Hope podcast where we're sharing the story of how Bible translation brings hope to the people groups of the world. We are part of the NRT network, the podcast network and I am Caleb Eversmith filling in for my sister Esther Adams who is unwell today and I'm going to pass it over to Alex, our co-host who's going to introduce herself and our guests today.
1: Hi, I'm Alex Winslade. I work at Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand here in the Auckland office. I do a lot of communications work, just sharing about what we do. Um, And today we have the privilege of being joined by um, some longstanding members of Wycliffe, David and Christine Forrest. Would you guys be able to introduce yourselves a little bit?
2: Yes, I'm Christine and I'm a Kiwi born, but I've lived in so many countries and uh, I don't sound like a true Kiwi, but that's (laughs) all right.
3: yeah yeah and I'm David Forrest uh, I was born in Canada, came here to mm-hmm. New Zealand when I was eighteen met Christine very soon after I arrived here, but uh we didn't really connect for a few years uh and um yeah've been living um overseas uh been to a lot of different countries uh serving the Lord in different capacities, mainly teaching mm-hmm. linguistics but also doing Bible translation, yeah
1: oh. Yeah, I can relate to that, um, being a Kiwi, but not sounding like one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm uh, I'm kind of in the same boat there, too. I uh, yeah. I, I used to have a very, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but over here, uh, everyone recognizes it from the movie Thor Ragnarok, where you have that character that's like, oh, I didn't print enough pamphlets, so I tried to start a revolution. And uh, I used to speak a lot like that. And then, of course, I moved to the States. And so I don't sound American, and I don't really sound particularly Kiwi either.
3: Yeah, yeah it's what we call an international accent.
0: Yeah, yes. there you go. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, although I get, I get Australia every day over here, for oh. sure, yeah.
1: Interesting. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, David and Christine, nice, nice to meet you. Lovely to have you on the podcast. Um, we'd love to open with asking, what, what's something from the Bible that has encouraged you or impacted you recently?
2: Um Scripture has a way of impacting you over and over again. Mm. You might be very comfortable and encouraged by a verse years before, and then it pops up again in your life. And this verse for me is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, where it says, mm. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future, and and that is so true. It's been true all our lives as we have walked the journey of Bible translation and cross-cultural communication.
3: Mm. Mm. Yeah, and and for me, in our weekly Bible study group that we have at our home on Tuesday nights, uh, we've been going through the book of James, and Mm. the main thing that's impacted me is the practicality of the Christian faith. Uh, in, in the book of James, he doesn't really focus on how we relate to God directly in praise and worship, but rather in our interactions with those in need, especially if they're Christians in need. And this ties in powerfully with what we uh, read in the Barnabas uh, Aid magazine and prayer guide. Uh, there's just so many Christians around the world that are really suffering in different ways. Uh, And James 1, 26, 27 says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion as worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's a very, very practical uh, Christianity that uh, James is calling us into.
1: Mm. Hmm yeah I love that you say that um scripture just has a way the same scripture can impact us over and over again, and it just kind of shows that you know the Word of God is living and active and will never become something old to us yeah that's awesome
0: yeah for sure yeah i love I love that scripture in James as well, especially uh my generation uh I feel like there was a big movement to kind of reach us where they were like it's not a religion it's a relationship which is it's a bit of a false dichotomy when you read james because it's saying hey pure religion is to look after the orphans and the widows and um remembering that yeah when when people get stuff wrong it doesn't make christianity wrong it means that people get stuff wrong whereas following god being uh religious in the pure sense that the bible says that's that's when, as you can see, it's looking after orphans and widows. It's very practical. It's it's faith that's alive, faith with yeah. with yeah. the works. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Faith with works, right?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. Yeah. We'll jump into our main questions. Um, so, I'd love to know. Could you guys give us sort of an overview of um, how you met and how you were both led, whether that's individually or together, um, to serve with Wycliffe in Bible
2: translation? Yeah, I'll start out. Um, we met uh, i think the first week david was in new zealand mm-hmm. when he was 18 and um, he had uh, a sunday lunch at our house so that's when i met him first in his first um, week in new zealand mm-hmm. and um, when i was a child i was greatly impacted by a little brochure my mum used to get from a mission called ramabai mukti mission and it was a, a like a care center for girls especially in india who were mm. either abandoned or had some physical disability anyway they were cared for at this at this mission house and it really touched my heart that there were people with great need and so early in my life, I thought I would really like to do something for other people and serve God. Mm-hmm. Um, in my teenage years, I lost the plot somewhat, but then I got back on track and um, decided, yes, I really did want to do the missions track. So that's, that's how I started out. Mm-hmm. Really.
3: Yeah, well... Uh... I came, when I arrived here in New Zealand, uh, I had been a Christian just for a couple of years and got involved in Youth for Christ in Canada and uh, g- also got involved in Youth for Christ in Auckland. And that's where I met uh, Christine's older brother, Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Olding. And uh, he is the one that invited me to their home for um, that meal. And that's where I got to know the family. But nothing really uh, clicked between Christine and me for a while. Uh, It was when, as she said, she got her life back on track. And she was sharing her testimony at a Youth for Christ uh, camp uh, at uh, Willow Park, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Willow Park. Mm -hmm. And uh, as she was sharing her testimony, I thought, wow, Lindsay's uh, younger sister really is very attractive. I think I'd like to get to know her better. (laughs) 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 Uh, And... So that was probably four or five years after I'd first known
2: you? Yeah, probably. But then the first date he took me on was to a Wycliffe film because he was looking to see what my reaction was to this whole (laughs) story. And it it was such an amazing story of seeing the people receiving god's word in their own mm. language and i thought ah oh, it's really worth it what a what a great thing to do
3: mm. yeah. yeah so um i i didn't start off in my life wanting to be a missionary my my original thoughts was to be an astrophysicist i have a mm. love for science uh, mm. maths and chemistry all of those things were really fascinating to me uh so um it was quite a transformation in my life, and that's a bit of a long story, and it, it would be a digression. But little by little, God drew me into the idea of um, learning an unwritten language and sharing that with uh, sharing His word with other people who don't yet have it. And so that's what fascinated me about Wycliffe.
1: That's
0: amazing. How was uh? <laughs> How was the dynamic, this is not slightly off-topic, but how was the dynamic of your friend Lindsay when you were like, I'm interested in your sister?
3: <laughs> oh, well, Lindsay seemed not to object in any way. <laughs> 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 now, Lindsay and I were good pals. We did a lot of things together in Youth Through Christ. And uh, so... Um, yeah, I think he was pretty happy when I started dating his sister.
0: <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, so my my sister married one of my friends, and then but there was he wasn't the first one of my friends to date my sister. So and that was always a really uh, intense conversation. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: uh, so so back back on track in terms of Bible translation. Uh, what was it that led you to uh, decide to live and work with the? Uh, how do, you, how do you say the language the Chinantec, Chinantec. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, the Chinantec language uh, in Mexico. What what led you to work with them?
3: Well, when Christine and I were doing our advanced linguistic studies at the University of Norman, Oklahoma, uh, we were as part of the training uh, we were doing phonetics, uh, and uh, part of that was uh, tone languages, <coughs> and both of us noticed that a lot of the fellow, our fellow students were afraid of tone languages. They just felt it mm-hmm. was overwhelming. Uh, Christine is quite musical. I'm not a good singer. I'm not musical in that sense, but I do seem to be very aware of uh, the the way um, notes move up and down. Uh, I, I'm, I'm aware of that, mm. even though I might not be able to keep a tune. <laughs> uh, so because we both did very well in the tone component of... Uh, um, our linguistic training, we had heard that there were a lot of tone languages in Mexico. And so we wrote to the administration asking for the list of tone languages. And we got about uh, a list of about 80 languages. And as we prayed through that, God laid on our hearts, the Chinantec people. And uh, little by little, uh, the path became clear that he wanted us to work with the Sochiapam Chinantec. I should mention that Chinantec is a family of uh, variants. It's Mm. sort of like talking about the Romance languages, where you have Mm. Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, French, Romanian. And you can see connections if you get a dictionary that covers the Romance languages, you can see a lot of the words that connect. But if you asked an Italian to have a deep and meaningful conversation with a Frenchman, um, they would not be able to do that. They might be able to communicate a few basics, but that would be it. And that's true with the 14 Chinantec variants. Um, There are obvious linguistic similarities, but if you have two Chinantecs from these variants together, they can't have a deep and meaningful conversation. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, we were God led us to the Sochiapan Chinantec people.
1: I'm interested how about how far apart would these people be that speak the different variants, like distance-wise?
3: Yeah, well, uh, the the nearest variant um, to us would be um, um, what's it now? Not not Usila, What's the other one? Us. Uh, yeah, well, Sila is about seven hours walk away. The nearest okay. one. Uh, The um, name of the town is just eluding me right now. It's
2: a lot,
3: No, not the variant. Um,
2: It's
3: about uh, four hours walk from us.
2: Wow. Uh,
3: That single lady. Oh,
2: Uh, Tlaquatseendipek.
3: Tlaquatseendipek, that's right. Tlaquatseendipek. Tlaquatseendipek, I've walked there on a couple of occasions, and that's about four or five hours walk, and Osila is about seven or eight hours walk away. Wow, and these are steep mountain trails, just like in Papua New Guinea, it's jungle mm-hmm. area, yeah,
1: huh, It always amazes me that somewhere that close, it's a walking distance away, even though it's a few hours, like can have a different language that people can barely understand each other, it's, yeah right.
0: yeah, yeah, and it's also just it's such a paradigm shift from like living in a city. everything you think about is how far away it is to drive. <laughs> it's like, man, there are people today. They, they're living in places where it's like how far is the walk you know that's, yep. that's quite a it's quite an interesting thing and then with the with the language and the tones did you find at all any of the new tones you picked up learning their language kind of made its way into when you were speaking English
3: um
2: not really no uh not the reverse wasn't it for me it was the reverse mm. because it Intonation is so built into me, like when I would want to say, a really surprised, really, you know, mm-hmm. really yeah. go up. Well, in in Chinatec language, when you want to uh, express surprise, it's just simply la. Oh,
0: okay. I'm going to go
2: that. No, 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 no. Right. Uh, yeah. So my, my English intonation was affecting my. My speech, right.
3: but I. Yeah, that, that is what, one of the major things when you're learning a tone language is learning to set aside the intonational patterns that are built into you from childhood, mm. and follow the tones of the words and mm. uh, not impose English intonation on it. Yeah, and that's because
1: in the tone language, the tone can actually change the meaning of what you're saying. Is that right?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, just. Uh, a very very brief explanation. English um, Languages such as English, Spanish, French use tone, but the tone is spread over a sentence and so we call that intonation. And so you can hear the difference between saying John went to the store making a statement, John went to the store asking a question. So your tone is spread out over the sentence and it changes the meaning of the sentence. In a tone language, uh, the tone of each individual word changes the meaning of the word. So mm. if I say that means something metallic. "Miny" means smoke. "Miny" means pig. Mm.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating.
0: Yeah, that's super fascinating. Mm.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so when you it's uh, very
2: good well, for a foot in mouth. You often say things you really didn't intend to say. Right, <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. You just. Mm. You just have to laugh about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a very humbling and also very like self-disciplined experience where you're learning that language and you really it's you just have to put yourself in a new in a new state of mind so that you're focusing on that the tone of, of every syllable basically. That's 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 right. that's that's definitely absolutely some discipline right, right there. Yes,
2: yeah,
3: absolutely
0: right. So uh when you initially went there uh, was there uh what what were you originally doing when you when you first went there, and then did that work change over time?
3: We went there with the intention of learning the language and translating the New Testament into their language. Uh, and um that that was the initial goal. We didn't realize at the time that we would need to take on several other roles as well. Mm. Uh, One of them was uh, um, becoming Town Fix-It. I had more Mm. tools than anybody in town, and I have a natural inclination to uh, be able to see problems and fix them. And so I began uh, fixing things for people. And so I set set aside my Saturdays. Uh, to uh, fix things for people so they would come up with their flashlights or their uh, radios back in those days radios had all discrete components so you could see the transistors and capacitors and everything Mm -hmm. and oftentimes it was just dirty connections or battery one battery out of a set that had um, lost its uh, charge and uh, because batteries were not not good quality Mm -hmm. Uh, oftentimes it was a broken wire it was easy to fix these things uh, fixing the town typewriter. Uh, so that that became one of our ministries. And um, then we also ended up doing a lot of medical work because uh, being such a remote area, uh, we were um, 35 kilometers walk from the nearest road. And if you're sick uh, walking over steep mountain trails to get out to the lumber truck road and then another 10 kilometers along that road until you get to the nearest town, Mm -hmm. Then another 25 kilometers riding the back of the picture. Um, It's just very daunting. Mm -hmm. And so we felt it was uh, important to try to help the people as much as we could. So that also began to take some of our time. And then we also realized that that there's no point in translating scripture for people if they can't read it. So we Mm -hmm. had to begin to focus on literacy and mm-hmm. developing primers and uh, their folk stories as easy reading because they could anticipate the storyline, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, then also books on agriculture and so on. So, yeah, there, there was a lot more to the task than just Bible translation. We, we mm-hmm. found ourselves involved in, in a lot of other areas as well.
0: Wow. And I've actually, uh, as I understand it, uh, helping people groups become literate, it, Bible translation is one of the best methods. So there's a, a strong correlation between languages that uh, don't have the Bible and languages that aren't literate. And it's, it's to get those people out of poverty, uh, they need to become literate. But you can't just like go in there and be like, learn a language. <laughs> you know, That's they've, got, right. they've got busy lives. But the yeah. the spiritual uh, having having the word of God is is quite a driving force to lead people to be like, well, it'd be a good thing to learn the language so we can know what God says to us.
3: Mm, yeah, well, that was certainly the motivation of uh, one lady, Isabel, who was in her 50s and totally illiterate, mm. never been to school, and just a wonderful story of her determination despite twisting her ankle coming along to uh, literacy classes and asked her, you know, why she wanted to come. And she said, because I don't want to be just dependent on what the preacher says. I want to read God's word for myself and, mm. and, uh, and understand what God wants me to be and do.
0: Mm. That's awesome.
1: That, yeah. yeah. Was it like, because you wouldn't have had much medical training, or did you kind of have some going
3: into it?
2: Uh, when we were in jungle camp, we mm. had uh, some medical training,
3: Three months. Yeah,
2: yeah right. three months. Well, one interesting fact was somebody came up to the clinic, to our, to our house actually, before we had a clinic, and she said, uh, do you people have books about medicine and how to fix people? Mm-hmm. And we said, yes, we do. And she said, well, I have this, and so please look in your book and, mm-hmm. and uh, give me something to fix me up. Mm-hmm. So right. her assumption was that if you can read, you can you can fix people.
0: How about that? <laughs> Mom, simply
2: put. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it, it was kind of interesting that you know there was great power in in the word, even in like from a medical manual where you've got this capacity to help people through mm-hmm. through medicine, and and mm-hmm. her simple view of well, if you have a book about medicine. You you study it and you tell me how to get fixed. That yes. was her take on it.
0: Yeah, mm. that's that's great. That's real great.
2: Yeah. Well, I um,
1: love sort of linguistic questions, so I'm very excited about this one that I have for you. Is um, what's one thing that you find fascinating about the nature of languages, and how does that contribute to what you see like the as the importance of translation work?
3: Yeah, well, (laughs) um, I thought about that and uh, I find it fascinating that every language has areas of efficiency where a concept can be expressed in a single word in one language, but that same concept might require uh, a a phrase or even a sentence. Um, Christine and I can communicate in three languages, uh, Spanish and English, Mm -hmm. and there are times when we're talking together and a, a a word or a phrase will pop into my mind or her mind to express something, and it sounds so much better in, in Chinantec or in Spanish than it mm. does in English. It just really hits the point. Mm. Um, and uh, an example uh, in English, uh, we might hear the rumble of thunder in the distance and say, "It sounds like rain is coming." Uh, in Chinantec, I only need to say "niha mu." Hm. Hmm. And the word, the prefix ni as an evidential meaning that there is audible evidence of something about to happen. Hmm. And so ni ha means uh, it sounds like rain is coming.
1: Wow.
0: <laughs> How about that? <laughs> and, is that um, sort
1: of, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes, I was going to ask, know. does that make it like um, difficult in translation, then, if one language has a very efficient way of saying something, but this other one doesn't, and having to figure out how to do that, how to change that?
3: Oh, yes. You have to be creative. You can't mm. always look for a one-on-one word for cor- correspondence. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you have to look for what is the speaker trying to communicate, mm. and then looking for the best way to communicate that in the target language. And that it might require fewer words, it might require more words. Uh, it might require restructuring the sentence totally, where, as in, whereas in English we put the subject first and the object last. Yeah. In some languages you put the object first and the subject last. Uh, and in Chin and Take we put uh, the verb first usually, and then the subject and then the object. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you do have to be open to restructuring uh, um, how things go. And, and another example... Um, almost all nouns and verbs have multiple nuances uh, but rarely do those nuances available in one language map uh, onto those in another so for example the word world in english only partially maps onto the greek word cosmos Uh, cosmos uh, according to w vines dictionary of uh, new testament words uh, can mean the entire universe it can mean this planet It can mean the people who live on the planet. It can mean Gentiles as distinguished from Jews. And it can mean those who are alienated from God. And it can even mean those who are in outright opposition to God. So this one word, cosmos, has all those meanings.
0: Mm.
3: Um, When we talk about world in English, we can talk about the world of music, the world of art. This doesn't map onto the Greek word cosmos. Um, And we have this... Fascinating conundrum in at least in the King James Version, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know that verse well. Yeah. Yet we are told in the in the book of 1 John, love not the world, nor the things in the world. So we have a conundrum. God so loved the world, but we are told don't love the world. And that's because we haven't seen that there, there are different nuances to the Greek word cosmos. Uh, The reason it's a conundrum is only because the appropriate English nuance for the Greek word cosmos hasn't been chosen in the translation. Mm.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, and thats I would imagine that in the process of being face-to-face with the people, you're learning their language, you're going through that process of, as you were saying earlier, sometimes you say something and it doesn't land. (laughs) You're like, oh no, I've said something wrong. That that would really help you translate the Bible in the future because you have that experience of being like, well, I know that saying it this way doesn't actually land in uh in this language i know that they they talk about with bible translation you have uh word for word versus thought for thought and uh yes. i'd imagine that 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 process of working with the people will really help you understand when to go word for word and when to go thought for thought am i on beam with that you think or
3: yeah absolutely and and to- sometimes sometimes um, you get If you translate it literally, it means something very different to them. Mm -hmm. So like Jesus refers to uh, Herod as that fox, if we translate that um, metaphor directly, go tell that fox, instead of turning it into a simile, um, as a metaphor, go tell that fox, uh, the people, the Chenentec people will just think that Herod was a terrible chicken stealer. (laughs) <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you do that in some English places, they'll just think he's a good-looking dude.
3: <laughs> there you are. Right? <laughs> yeah, so we have to look at these things, and there there's built-in information into the culture of the language. Uh, people make assumptions based on their culture and their upbringing, and so sometimes when we are translating, we just cannot translate word for word. The words might be there. But if we mm. translate word for word, we are actually communicating something unintended, something that the original author did not intend.
0: Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think the way so I understand we... it, yeah, you go, you go ahead. Should have said, go tell Herod that rat.
0: <laughs> mm. <laughs>
2: right.
3: That rat bag. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what I understand about Bible translation, the process of it, is that. For that reason, it's very important to do the community checking part, because once it's translated, then you uh, read it to people that haven't heard it before and check what they understand the meaning to be. Is that right? That's where you can figure out if that actually was translated right.
3: Absolutely right. One of the most important checks is the back translation. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were very fortunate. I think it was God's blessing that we were able to find a young man who had a little bit of secondary school education. He'd lived in Mexico City for a while, so his Spanish was pretty good. He's a native Chinentech speaker. He was not a Christian, had no idea what the Bible said, and we sat him down with the Chinantec and asked him to write out in Spanish what he thought the Chinentech was saying.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and this was a, a good comprehension check to make sure that it really was communicating what, it, what we had intended it to. And uh, occasionally, when he would... See a meaning that we hadn't intended to be there, uh, that wasn't appropriate. Um, I'd talk with my language assistants and ask them, you know, what was and Why did Miguel think this? And sometimes it was just that he had misread a tone. Um, but other times they would say, oh, yes, it could mean that as well. It was mm-hmm. ambiguous genetic and they, had, they were so focused on the Spanish uh, or the Greek as we discussed it uh, that um, uh, th- they hadn't realized that there was an ambiguity and so we had to look for a way to tighten the translation if the ambiguity was inappropriate. Mm. Yeah, so you're absolutely right, we, we do need to do those checks.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you, did you find at all that there was like a, a little bit of tension you had to work through as translators? where you have that dynamic uh, scripturally, where sometimes the people don't hear what what it means because it's a spiritual reason as opposed to a problem with the language. Was that hard to navigate in terms of uh, you, you translate the scripture and then they miss it, not because the language saying it is wrong, but as Jesus said, you know, some people heard the parables and they heard and understood. Some people heard the parables and they didn't hear, but it wasn't the problem with the speaking. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I guess one thing that pops into my mind along that line was um, uh, the Spanish word for angel, Angel. And as we were translating, uh, there was no immediate Chinantec word for that. Mm. And when I talked to people, uh, I was concerned about just taking it over. Like in English, it's not a translation either. It's just a transliteration of the Greek word angelos. Mm. Uh, we haven't translated that into English. Uh, basically, it means messenger. Uh, and um, so I would ask the people what they thought of the Spanish word uh, angel. And I was um, surprised to find that they really didn't have a good ideas. Many of them thought those were the spirits of dead babies or those were Whoa. the stars in the sky. Uh, or uh, a few people thought that maybe these are some kind of special um, servants of God, but they had no real idea what their function is. Mm. And so that really spurred us to try to find a, a, a native way, a genetic way of expressing uh, the concept of angel.
0: Man, that's super interesting. That's mm-hmm. really, yeah, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, uh, Well, I appreciate you sharing that for sure. Um, so... One of the people that we've had on this podcast before is a guy named Wil, uh, Wilf Flores, and he was right. a super awesome dude. And so I understand that you guys had a, a pretty awesome connection. So do you mind giving us a, an overview of how you guys got connected and how that developed over the years?
3: Yeah, sure. Did you want to say something first? or uh, you go. No? Okay. <laughs> I'll chip in. <laughs> You'll chip in. Okay, well, you do that then. <laughs> Well, because the village of San Pedro Sochapan was so remote, as we mentioned earlier, Christine and I got involved in uh, medical services, helping the people as much as we could. And uh, Christine was often called upon to help with the birth of a child. However, on one occasion, um, she wasn't well when um, a person came up and said, would you please come and um, help with the birth of a child? and it happened to be uh, Margarita, um, the wife of my language assistant, Marcelino. So I went down in, in Christine's place, and uh, it was Wolf, and uh, God put Wolf into my hands on the day he was born. Wow. wow. You know, Wolf was close to the age of our second child, Cynthia, and he often played together with our three children as he grew up. So uh, we knew him well as a, as a child. Then after we left the village in 1986, uh, Wolf would have been about 14 at that time, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, following the dedication of the New Testament, uh, we lost contact with him. But uh, because he'd gone to Oaxaca City to attend high school, uh, he was in contact with um, some other members of Wycliffe who had a rented house in Oaxaca City, and he often house sat for them taking care of their cats and their garden. And so when I started on my doctoral thesis at the Sochiap and Genentec language at Auckland University, it became apparent that I needed more data. Even though I had heaps of data, there's always gaps. There's things that are puzzling. So with a grant from Auckland University, we were able to bring Will forward to New Zealand to assist me in my research. So he was 19 years old when he came here. I didn't need his assistance full time so we sent him to english lessons at the local high school and uh, it was interesting to see how quickly wolf picked up english uh he's just as a natural language learner Mm. and because he hadn't been able to finish high school in mexico due to financial constraints uh, he asked if he could complete his uh, high school studies here in new zealand Um, we were able to arrange for this he did well he graduated And before heading back to Mexico, he shared with me that having seen how God's word had uh, translated into his language, had transformed his community, he would love to become a Bible translator. It took a few years, but we found found three families uh, that were willing to sponsor him. And we thought it would be really best to bring him back here to New Zealand where we could mentor him and and, uh, be able to help him with adjustments to living long-term in another society. So he went along to what was then BCN said, now called Laidlaw College, successfully completed a BA and particularly enjoyed Greek and Hebrew. Uh, He's just, as I said, a natural language learner. He loves languages. So after completing his SIL training in Kangaroo grounds in Australia, he applied for acceptance into an MA program in linguistics at Auckland University. And completed his MA degree, and then he returned to Mexico, married a lovely American lass who was already working in a different Mexican indigenous language, um, and he's gone on to draft the entire Old Testament in his native language. Wow. So, um, it's it's a wonderful story. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. that's awesome. That's super awesome. That's uh, I know uh, I've had the privilege a couple of times of having a small hand and someone that's like younger and up and coming and you sort of lead them in the right direction you you take one step of faith and help them and then they just go like a thousand times further than you're initially thinking and and it's like whoa just seeing what god does in that kind of situation is amazing Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, amen Mm -hmm.
1: yeah but i guess looking back like while you were working on the new testament translation would you have expected for god to bring about the translation of the old testament (laughs) as he now is
3: well, when we translated the New Testament, we had hoped to incorporate at least the Book of Psalms into mm-hmm. the one cover with the old, with the New Testament, uh, because uh, the the church services there in the village always start with a reading from the Psalms, and so I thought that would be important. But with the time mm-hmm. constraints that we had, the poor health of both of our mothers, and both mm-hmm. of our mothers were widows. Uh, we just felt we had to. Um, except that we had time only to publish the new testament we didn't have time to do the uh, psalms we had drafted psalms but it was Mm -hmm. never consultant checked yeah so we did want to do more on the old testament but it just wasn't feasible but god had his divine plan Mm
2: -hmm. and
3: i stand in awe of how he has brought this to pass
2: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: how about that yeah Yeah, that's that that is so cool to see the way God works, He's He definitely likes surprising us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, He yeah. does. Yeah. So, so yeah. looking back now, um, do you see any any significance, uh, any special significance in the way that God has worked this out in this way?
3: Well, I think it's wonderful that God chose a native speaker of the Chinantec language to do the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, And, of course, Wolf will need to do a revision of the New Testament as well for the publication of the whole Bible, Mm. incorporating the natural changes that occur in a language over the years. By the time that he has the whole Bible ready to get published, it's going to be 40 years since the the New Testament was published. And um, Chinantec is a dynamic language. Wolf has told me that there's many new words that have come into the language that people have thought up, and some words that were common back When we translated the New Testament have now become um, antiquated. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, the New Testament does need to be uh, revised. So, yeah, uh, but we are just absolutely thrilled that a native speaker has taken on this process.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, that's something that I didn't really think about before working with Wycliffe is the fact that you don't really just need to translate it once into someone's language and then they're good to go because, like you say, languages are dynamic and so over 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, what it, What was translated could not really be understood really well. And the need for updates and translations and revisions, I think I just Absolutely. never really understood.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is something we just have to accept. Languages are dynamic. Mm-hmm. They, they, they change. Uh, we are constantly having new terms introduced into English. And uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Or old
1: terms are not understood as they
3: were. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, old terms go out, they become antiquated, or words change dramatically in meaning. Mm. Uh, I guess one that really struck me as a young Christian, I was reading in Isaiah, uh, I will work, and uh, who will let it? And I thought, well, yes, God, I'll give you permission to work in my life. And it wasn't until many years later that I found out that this word let in English has changed 180 degrees in meaning. It used to be <laughs> hinder it. Uh, I mean, who will hinder it? Wow, well, yeah. Uh, you still get that in some really legal documents without mm. letter hindrance. Mm.
1: Uh,
3: so uh, the uh, idea of let has changed totally in meaning. Yeah. And, and this is uh this is just something we don't realize we we read it and we think we've understood it but it's old mm. english it's uh it's changed in meaning
1: yeah.
0: mm. it's like i saw um there's someone that's made a reel on instagram about a worship song for gen z and it's <laughs> and it says when life is mid god is gas <laughs> And that doesn't mean, like, anything I to us. I don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't
3: mean anything to me.
0: And so it's like, when life is mid, so like, when life sucks. So being mid, for some reason, means, like, when things suck. And then God being gas is like, it's gas, it's, it's like, on fire, it's awesome. And so it's like, so when life sucks, God's awesome. And then, but just seeing that it came up on my feet and I was like, man, the language, it's, it's like only 10 years below me, but I'm just out of touch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: So Wilf has got his uh, work cut out for him to, mm. to uh, not only do the old Testament, but also tr- uh, revise the new Testament. And I'm just thrilled that he's doing that.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah. It's an amazing
1: story.
0: Yeah. And it's a good reminder of like, uh, it- it does take a really long time and so it really needs a lot of support from people. So as for all the people watching, like, Hey, this process is really significant. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's an eternal need. So it's something that is, you know, you can't put a dollar value on it, but it's a process that takes a lot of commitment, a lot of time. And the people that go out and do these things, they're not very well known and they're not trying to be very well known, but man, they're worthy of honor, you know? It's such an honorable mm. thing that you guys did to go out there and serve these people. And it's you know, it's it's such a, a humble thing to do as well. You know you're not gonna have your name up in lights by going over there and mm. serving these people, but I know it's uh you can you can trust you've stored up some treasure in heaven, that's for sure.
3: Oh, no, by God's grace, yeah. yeah. It's just one comment I, I would like to make about the value of the Bible translation as we've been talking about it. And as Will said, he'd seen the transformation in his community, and mm-hmm. because of that he really wanted to do Bible translation if God would open the doors for him. And um, when we arrived there in 1970, in the, in the Chinantec community, and would walk through town, it was rare to see a silver man. Alcoholism was rampant in the mm-hmm. village just mm-hmm. because of the social pressures. Young men at about the age of 15 would begin drinking. And the wow. idea of drinking was you drink until you get drunk. That's the whole purpose of drinking. It wasn't just a social drink yeah. um, or drinking with a meal. And, and, Yet, by God's grace, that society has been transformed. Husbands mm-hmm. who used to be terrible drunkards and would come home and to beat their wives, beat their children. Um, I've had some horrible stories uh, shared with me of um, how uh, children were just beaten terribly by drunken dads. Uh, now, if you go through that village and walk through that village, uh, it's very rare to see a drunken person. And dads mm-hmm. that used wow. to be so abusive are, are just now loving, caring, uh, people. It, it's just mm. been wonderful to see, see the transformation of the society by God's word and by God's mm. grace. Mm.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Mm. Praise God. What, was it true that when you went there, that scripture was there in Spanish?
0: Uh,
3: I don't think anybody had any scripture oh, at all when we okay, arrived no there. There was a right. Catholic church in town.
2: Mm. And,
3: and after we arrived, a, a Catholic priest arrived in town who was quite radical. <laughs> he began distributing um, uh, New Testaments written in uh, modern Spanish mm. and encouraging the people to um, read the New Testament. But literacy was extremely uh, low. Uh, there was only grades one and two available in primary school, and most of the adults in town had never been to school. Uh, so the idea of reading in Spanish was a double barrier, that people weren't literate and people could hardly understand Spanish. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even though he was well-intentioned, um, it did open the door, though. People mm-hmm. uh, were being told, you, you should read God. God's Word, and so as God's Word became available in Genentech, uh, there was a desire to read it in, in their language.
2: But it had been prohibited at one point that um, Catholic people shouldn't read the Bible for themselves because they might misinterpret it. Yeah, that was so a former was, priest. Yeah, that was kind of a taboo that you shouldn't even touch a Bible because it's it's um, the devil's book, actually. Mm. Wow. that was
3: their assumption because you only forbid something that's bad right mm-hmm. and since the earlier priest had forbade reading the new testament their cultural assumption was well since this is forbidden it must be the devil's book since this was mm-hmm. the only book that was forbidden and then this new radical priest comes along encouraging people to read the bible and read the new testament um it it was a bit, a bit puzzling at first mm-hmm. for
0: them. yeah yeah well praise god for that that person having that radical uh Appropriate view. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, your story is definitely, it's inspirational. It definitely gives me mm. lots of hope. Um, what is, I'd love for each of you to share, what's what's one of the greatest lessons that God has taught during your time with Wycliffe?
2: I think for me it would be that my way is not the only way. Mm. Mm. We sort of think from our cultural that the things I know or the way I do things is the only way. Whereas, having worked in another culture and lived with other cultures, you learn that there are other ways that are hugely valuable. The way they value and appreciate the old people in the village, uh, they are given little jobs they can cope with, like taking corn off the cob or watching over grandchildren, everybody has a function, nobody's mm-hmm. sort of put out to pasture, so to speak. Um, so I did, I learned a lot of things from from the Chinatik people, mm-hmm. sharing, even though you don't have a lot of resources, sharing what you do have. Um, working together, learning to work together in community and people coming together and knowing how to put on a fabulous feast like the ladies of the church would get together and feed hundreds and hundreds of people. They just, they knew how to do it, how to be um, incredible caterers for events that would bless others. Um. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, well, uh,
3: I I guess for me, well, there's several things, but one that stands out to me is that God is faithful. Mm. Um, He's always provided us with what we needed, uh, not necessarily what we wanted. Mm. He's provided friends. He's provided encouragement when we felt it was all too much. He's provided excellent Chinathek language assistance. He's provided the finances we've needed to do the job. He's opened windows when doors were shut Mm -hmm. and gave us the training to do the tasks at hand um, with different workshops and consultants and other people that could hold our hand through those difficult times when we couldn't quite figure out what was going on in the language. Um, We had people that helped us to do uh, good literacy materials to really help people to learn and read learn to read and write in their language and um, advice on translation of challenging concepts and just thank the lord for uh, the wisdom that he also granted us to help people with their medical needs and help them with uh, their broken things fixing things for them yeah so it's just, just um god is faithful absolutely he, mm-hmm. he really does help us through all of those challenging times mm-hmm. Amen.
1: Yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing. I've, I've loved just listening to your story and just learning heaps from you guys. Um, yeah, we're going to move on to our practice of praying for five <coughs> nations now. So we'd love if one of you could pray for these. Um, today, we'll be praying for Cuba, uh, Curacao, Cyprus, Czechia, and Demo- Democratic Republic of the Congo. Um, so if one of you would be willing to lead us in prayer for that. mm.
3: We haven't talked about are you praying or am I praying?
2: We take it in turns.
3: Take it in turns?
2: Okay. All right. Yeah.
3: You wanna start? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, Father, we want to bring before you these lands where there's great need. And today we lift before you the people of Cuba. Pray for the churches and the believers. Pray for the government as they seek to control and limit church influence, we pray that that will be thwarted. pray that the government will see the value in issuing licenses for new churches, and for those who have had to operate as underground churches, they can now be open churches. We pray for church leaders and as they can face arrest. And, Lord, that is it seems so unfair that people doing good should face harm. Mm-hmm. And for the churches, it can be locked down. Businesses can be harassed. We just pray for the believers, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and strength. And pray that they will love you despite persecution.
3: Mm, Yes.
2: Pray for provision, Lord. There's shortages of many necessities like medicine and food and toiletries. We pray for freedom from oppression. Uh, After the protests and um, hundreds were imprisoned, we pray that these prisoners um, will soon get justice. Mm.
3: Mm.
2: And we pray for the response to COVID as people have gotten sick with COVID. Some hospitals and health centers have run out of medicines and been overcrowded. We pray, Lord, that these people would be aware of your love and your care and that there'd be adequate Christian people who can minister to them and their needs.
3: Lord, I just want to lift up to you the island of Curacao, um, just located off the coast of Venezuela. Um, pray for the churches there. Thank you that there are vibrant churches there in that island, despite the many sects and nominalism and superstition that pervades in many areas. Pray particularly for the Papi Mento people. Uh, the native people of the, of the island, mm. that uh, the, by your grace uh, they will be able to receive good education mm. in their own language and that your word will be available to them in their own language, so that uh, there can be real transformation amongst the people there. We do pray for authentic relationships, uh, that these people will not just be nominally Christian, but that they will be able to break free from the superstitions that pervade much of society and have a real living, vibrant relationship with mm-hmm.
2: you. And Lord, with the people of Chechia, or Czech Republic, as it's also known. And so many of them consider themselves as non believers, others mix together different spiritual ideas, and there's a lot of confusion. They use horoscopes and looking for answers and yet not looking to you and lord there's a there's a lot of crime and sexual immorality substance abuse a lot of depression and suicide has been on the rise so many issues are ruining this nation we pray lord that your spirit would fall upon this nation and that they would turn their hearts back to you, Lord.
3: Mm. Mm. Yes.
2: A people who had been strong in the past and yet have become weak and powerless. We just pray for spiritual revival amongst this group of people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm.
3: And Lord, we also prayed for the Democratic Republic of the Congo, a place that has been shaken with war and that this has brought about abject poverty and there's still regional strife. And there's such so so much issue with uh, diseases like malaria and TB, HIV and um, problems with tribalism and child abuse and witchcraft. We just pray for a stable national government that is rooted in righteousness. We pray that by your grace there will be leaders that really are followers of Christ. And we pray that by your grace the Prince of Peace will be, will heal those who are traumatized by the uh, widespread violence that is there in the country. Mm And we also pray to Lord regarding the terrible flooding that's occurred recently as people are desperately in need of shelter and food that by your grace, um, aid can come to them in a timely manner and lives can be saved. So just mm-hmm. thank you for your love and thank you that we can have a part in all of this, reaching out, helping hands mm-hmm. to bless those who are in need. Thank mm-hmm. you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Right. I think we'll just finish off with some news from um, Whitcliffe and Eversmith. Um, so just we'd appreciate continued prayer for anyone listening for the two um, translations that will be typeset and published this year, the Book of Book in New Testament and the Martin Silo Cole Bible. Um, and also um, just pray for us as we prepare for our 60th anniversary celebrations this year and the publication of a coffee table book um, that, that would all come along smoothly.
0: Amen. Awesome. And then for Eversmith News, so we have uh, the Music City United ceasefire here in Nashville. Um, That's kind of our big work on at the moment. Um, Lots of violent crime in the States, lots of uh, violent crime related to to shooting. And uh, we had, uh, the ceasefire was planned before it happened, but Nashville had a school shooting um, a couple of months ago. It's a pretty mm-hmm. terrible situation, and so uh, we're believing for Juneteenth weekend that there will be no shootings in Nashville, um, calling for a ceasefire. So MusicCityUnited.com is the link for that, and then we also have we have two songs coming out. One is well, I think I think it's out now. It's the ceasefire theme song, so you can go to EverSmith on any online platform and you'll be able to hear the ceasefire theme song and then we have a song called pure heart coming out which is an awesome worship song and that's actually featuring uh seth webster from O oh sleeper so that might sound like an interesting feature for a worship song but he la- they're a christian band and they love jesus uh but it definitely is a uh, i trust it's a fresh sound fresh sound for the worship scene so Yeah, we're excited about that. That comes out, I think that one's June 9th. So, yeah, exciting stuff. Sounds good. Yeah, well, thanks so much for um, coming on today. Mm. We'll uh, get everyone to look forward to the episode we have next month i'm not sure who's on or what we're doing or i'm probably not even going to be here but (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah uh, thanks
1: for filling in today (laughs)
0: caitlin yeah no problem good good to be here i enjoyed I, i i really enjoyed being here so uh if you listen make sure you like put down a comment um subscribe and share with everybody so that we can make sure that um, people know that there's even a need of translation and that when they hear these amazing stories of what mm-hmm. Bible translation is like, they'll get stirred up to do it. So, yeah, thanks again.
1: See you guys. Thank you. Thank you.
0: It's been good to be with you. Bye.